name is Christina, and thank you for checking into the home for Weird OCs. This is a podcast where friends and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Today, our guest is my friend Matt. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. First snowfall of the year. Nice. Uh, and I should probably clarify that Matt is, uh, in addition to being my friend, is also the GM for the Lost Library Grayscale campaign that I'm in. And he's also the one who is very kindly uh, hosting and taking care of feed stuff for Wayward, which I don't think I've ever actually said anywhere, which is on me. But here I am giving public credit where it should be given. Hey, you know what? I'm happy to do it for friends of mine. It's it's nothing. It's great. I've got a good service that lets me do things like that for people. So it's it's good. But yeah, surprise. I When I had Sam on for the last episode, I realized that I don't think I've ever actually... like said that so well you know it's not i'm not like producing the show i'm just like loaning you space on the internet it's it's not quite the same deal so it's fine i've never felt concerned about it well me either which is good (laughs) okay so who are we going to be talking about today matt today we're actually we're actually going to talk about three people okay you told three. me two earlier. Did I? I yes, you I did. Three. They're all very short. They're all D and D characters. Okay. And I mean, I, I guess I should preface this. I like D and D just fine, but if you know me and if you've like ever talked to me online, I've probably yelled about other systems than D and D. This is just kind of what I've had recently to play around with. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So who's up first then? Up first is the oldest of the three characters. He's uh, probably the one we're going to talk about most, or the longest, probably until the end. Uh, his name is Sindri Fan Ransom Veilbrickle. Okay. He is, uh, originally, he was a halfling warlock who, because a, uh, a GM of mine... Decided to let us choose any alignment. He was lawful evil. He was, uh, he had the great old one packed for the warlock. Uh, he was kind of one of several multi-class warlocks in the party. And we would all take the great old one packed. We all served the same great old one. And we would waltz into battle using one of the powers to basically psychically whistle the Kill Bill tune into our enemies' heads as we went in. It was uh, terrifying. Okay. His his grand goal was eventually to turn into the villain of a campaign for someone else because he was just on that slide down to Joker levels of chaotic evil. Okay. Aside from the lawful evil part, this is all very on-brand for you. <laughs> uh, it, it is. I still... There are still details of him that I love. We had... I got to roll for the random trinket thing that's part of D&D 5e if you want to use that. Uh, and what I got was a mask. And I was like, oh, well, of course, we serve the king in yellow and or his deity, Haster. And yeah, you're, you're sensing a theme. Uh, I just I might have just pushed one of Christina's grayscale buttons. I'm sorry. Uh, Haster and the king in yellow are my favorite of the Lovecraftian gods. Um, I'm just going to take a drink, keep my mouth shut. <laughs> 
I'm trying to move past it so that we don't have any uh, bad memories or bad future projections. Um, so the the mask is like this bone white ceramic mask that has no features on it. And it's just kind of this weird shape. And they would pull them all down and we had spells cast on them so that we could communicate with each other through the mask. And so there's like just this horde of half warlocks would just like run into a room with the Kill Bill sirens go off in our enemies' heads and then we just unleash on them. It was great. Uh, so Century Fan, Ransom Veilbrickle. Uh, eventually I ported him over to our local game store here in town. Um, we have a weekly campaign thing and I ported him over and I was like, okay, hold on. I can't unleash this psychotic, angry halfling on people. So I turned him into a gnome uh, and I, I kind of cleaned him up a little bit and his name just became Ransom Veilbrickle. And some people might recognize this voice, but his entire perception was, hi, I'm Ransom. In the tone of, hello, sirs. I mean, I recognize that voice, but I don't think I've heard you use that for a whole lot of other it's, things. It's very similar to, hi, I'm Ben. Yeah, it's a little, in that same little neighborhood. A little bit higher pitched than Ben, but yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's Angus, boy detective. Uh, it's my good, good angel boy, Ben. And it's Ransom Veilbrickle, who is just this hopelessly earnest character. Okay. He just really hates that he has to serve the Raven Queen and be a hexblade for her now. Uh, it's a type of warlock where you just get to use a lot of weapons. Yeah, all the I'm time. familiar with hexblades. I haven't played yeah. them, familiar with it. They're very they're they're fun if you're going to be in a combat heavy environment, which is what tends to happen at the FLGS here. So he became this friendly, earnest person who just kind of became like my identified go to person. Just, hi, I'm Ransom. I'm going to be really helpful. Oh, you pissed me off. Okay, now I have to end you. Okay. Uh, so he's he's still living a good, happy life. He'll probably become a halfling again, because I think I like him more as a halfling than a gnome. Um, but uh, he's he's just being happy now. It's really great. Okay. I'm, I'm glad to hear that Ransom is happy wherever he is. He just, he just want he's happy and he wants everyone else to be happy. And can, can we all just be good and happy? Thanks. Don't, don't worry about that whole Raven Queen thing. It doesn't come up often. Um, and actually that character, uh, more Sindri than Ransom, uh, is the lead in to my second character. Okay. So a couple years ago, before I went to Scotland, I started playing with a local group here in town. Um, I didn't stick around long. Schedules got nuts. I couldn't really keep doing it, unfortunately. Um, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's... Life happens, and it kind of stinks. The penalty um, for knowing the Dungeons & Dragons exists, or the tabletop games is, exist, is trying to schedule around more than, say, three people to do games. <laughs> yep. That's it's uh, it's the curse of the table right there. It's the price we pay. It is for having our good, good characters running around. Um, so I decided to sit down and I basically just reskinned Sindri Ransom, uh, made him a little less crazy and a little less perky than Ransom would end up being. Uh, it was just kind of a just a casual gnome dude who happened to serve a 
an Archfey this time instead of one of the other two. And he just got to, he was going to run around on this adventure with these guys. And on our first walk through the forest, uh, the DM at the time, who was an old school DM, rolled a random encounter die to see if we encountered anything. And we did. And then rolled on a random table. And he threw sphinxes at us. Somehow, four sphinxes came out of the woods and just jumped us. And I was like, okay. So, uh, in one hit, Sentry was dead this time. R.I.P. in pieces. And and I had to go re-roll a character who was just going to show up somehow. So the rest of the party runs away from the sphinxes. They go back to town. We had made it, like, less than a day into the woods onto the goal. And they leave the next morning. They go out. The DM rolls the random encounter again, and they get another encounter. This time, they got six pteranodons. Okay. Who just started dive-bombing them. And then out of the trees... And by this, I don't mean, like, running out of the forest. I mean, leaping from a high tree branch... In his flashy pirate gear came Keo Rug, my elf swashbuckler rogue. Okay. So the swashbuckler is broken, and I love it. It's basically Errol Flynn made real. Okay. I don't have any experience with playing rogues, so but I'm familiar I mean I know what a swashbuckler is, and I know who Aaron, who Errol Flynn is, so so rogues are all about, like, I'm going to be in good position to sneak attack you. And people at Wizards were like, oh, that's great and all. But what if we gave you one class that lets you sneak attack on everything all the time? Okay. And we're going to let you add your charisma bonus to your initiative so you always go first. And if you do breathtakingly stupid dexterous stunts, you get bonuses to attacks. Okay, this is still sounding very on-brand for you. So I did it. So I flew out of the trees, like, jumped onto a pteranodon's back mid-flight, murdered it, and, like, hang-glided down to the party on this dead pterodactyl. And I was just like, hello, boys. I'm gonna have some fun today. It was great. And he, uh, he also got transferred over to the friendly local game store side quest night thing. Um, and that's when he actually became Keo Rug. I don't remember what his old name was. It doesn't matter. It wasn't as good. Keo Rug was my first test of my new Elvish naming convention. Okay. So you take any two words from the Breath of the Wild list of shrines, and you shove them together, and it becomes an elf name. Every uh, time. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty decent way to come up with character names. <laughs> and they're all weird. Like, I love Breath of the Wild. It's a great game. If you want to hear more about it, Jake Mason's probably screaming about it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Jake was on the Power Up Everything Nintendo and Beyond podcast talking about, I think, Breath of the Wild specifically. Nice. Free promo. Yeah, there you go. Go go listen to that. It's probably very good. Um But the shrine list, when I saw the list of shrines, I was just like, well, this is too good of an opportunity to waste. So that's become my new go-to. And anytime someone, like, asks for an elf name, I'm like, hold up. These two words, go. 
and it always seems to work. You have to, you don't really even have to play with them all that much. Um, so that's, that's my swashbuckler. He's very, very good. He almost always just came right off of a ship. Okay. Probably a pirate ship, but he'll never admit that. He'll never say he's a pirate. That's rude. That's the rude that you would even think it, Christina. How dare. And this is exactly how Kyorug is. It's okay. always your fault. Always. Hair-flippingly charming elf boy. And I will leap into danger at the slightest hint of money. Always. This silence was not manufactured, listeners. Christina is stunned at the glory of Kyo Rug. And just how much of a garbage trash can he is. Not, not stunned, just baffled. He is an absolute trash fire. He is. It's great. He is not a good boy. He is a chaotic neutral at worst and chaotic good at best. I I think he would probably aspire to be Captain Mal Reynolds from the Firefly on his better days. But he never gets that high. Okay. Never ever. So those two kind of dance around together. Ransom, Ransom and, and Keo would probably be very good friends. Just because Ransom always sees the good in people. And Keo likes it when someone sees good in him and is like, yes, I'll help you jump out of tall things. That's great. All of this, though. All of yes. this. Yes. Pales in comparison. To oh, my new, God. my new Warforged boy, oh, God. that I spent several shifts at work building for a campaign I'm going to be getting to play here locally with some friends of mine. I mean, I don't blame you for character building at work. God knows I've done that. <laughs> I I I have to stand for eight hours a day, and about fifty percent of it has customers, so I have time. Um, so Warforged. Warforged come in three varieties, if you or the listeners didn't know. Um, there's, a, like, a big hulking juggernaut, like your typical golem thing. Uh, there's what's called a skirmisher that's all, like, light and agile and built for speed and scouting. And then there's one called the Envoy, which I feel like is probably the platonic ideal of a Warforged. They carry an integrated tool in them. Okay. Like, they're the kind... They're like the Inspector Gadget type who's like, oh, hold on. I'm the Swiss Army Knight of things. Okay. And they're usually built for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, a weird purpose. So, I was thinking about this guy. And I was just like, okay, who do I want to be? Well, I firmly believe that three levels of Warlock makes every other class better. Again, not surprised. <laughs> I, you add three levels of Warlock to Rogue, and you can get the Pact Blade feature. So even if they take away all your other gear... Oh, you caught me, guys. I don't have a weapon. Oh, surprise, I do! It came out of nowhere. It's perfect. You add you add three levels of Warlock to a fighter, like a two-weapon melee fighter, and you have enough Eldritch Invocations to make your... Eldritch Blast go almost literally around the world and knock people away. 
So even if the bad guy's running away and you can't chase after him, you can just go like, oh, cool. Bang. Done. Warlock makes everything better, Christina. The one class I hadn't thought about, really, was Druid. Okay. How does a warlock make a druid better? I don't know. I didn't know. And I still don't really. I haven't put it in practice yet. Uh, I get to start out at a level three. And for story reasons, all three of those levels are going to be druid levels. I mean, I have a very simple answer for you. What's that? Character was a druid, made a pact of some kind to save their preferred natural environment. You are very close to what the GM and I settled on. Uh, it's not, it's not a hundred percent, but it's very close. So a long, 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 long time ago and, or a couple weeks ago, I don't know. And, uh, my Warforged doesn't know my Warforged was a bodyguard for a wizard. Warforged were made by wizards fighting some great war. That's kind of the general lore. Uh, I don't know okay. what the details of this guy's lore is going to be because he doesn't remember. Something happened while okay. he was guarding the wizard. And when he woke up, he was in some version of the underworld. Great. Might end up, might end up being the Shadowfell, the Underdark. I don't know yet. Um, the GM hasn't told me. And so the Warforged is like, well, I'm here. I don't seem to be dead like these other poor souls. I guess I'll try to be useful until I figure out what's going on. And he became a circle of twilight druid who basically tends the underworld. Okay. And like shepherd souls around and does things like this. Okay. And like, I imagine somewhere he had a small little hut. And he probably planted a garden because he's like, well, if I'm a druid, I guess nature or whatever crap. So I got to do this. Okay. Hello, I'm a robot boy who doesn't remember anything. I'm just going to build stuff here and make a little home and have have a good time just working and being really useful. Okay. So you're playing Dompe the Gravedigger. Kind of, except, okay, well, I was about to say just not slightly deformed and creepy, um, but he is a asexual robot boy. So your mileage may vary on that description. Eventually the Lord of the underworld, maybe Hades again, not sure yet takes notice of him and sends him back to the mortal plane. Okay. To do a job. And I don't know what this job is yet. I don't know if he's been told what the job is. So that's how he's going to become a warlock is he's making a pact with Hades. Okay. I mean, that's still... I, like, as you keep talking about these these three and a bit characters, I just keep, like, taking off, like, yep, 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 yep. yep. I'm going to go ahead and make it better for you. So that was the concept that the GM and I settled on. And then I went to work. I mean this both in the literal sense of I went to my job, but I also mean in the figurative sense of my crazy brain just was like, oh, hey, we're doing this. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to drink some more water and (laughs) go ahead. So I figured out pretty quick what his name was is. And I also figured out that he identifies as male. 
His name is 003Witness. It's kind of stealing the Bungie naming convention for the uh, the monitors, if you're familiar with Halo. Like, uh, nope. 343 Guilty Spark, things like that. Uh, so, 003Witness. And I just let that percolate, and I dealt with some customers, and then when they all, when that rush kind of subsided, I looked back at my notes and it's like, wait a minute, zero, zero, three. That implies he's the third unit of his model. Yes. So there's two others. Yes, it does, Dr. Eggman. I wonder what that means. And so I didn't think about it again for a minute. And then my GM was like, hey, so every Warforged has a unique sigil carved into their forehead that's part of the magic. It's like the final step of the magic to make them a living being. Uh, very similar to golem lore from from Jewish mythology. Very similar. Uh, but also, she told me, she was like, okay, so make that up. Figure out what that is. And figure out some other mark that's on him that is more or less like a property of kind of mark. So okay. the specific sigil of the wizard. And so I was trying to figure this out, and I stumbled onto a Wikipedia article. That's always the way best sentences start out, right? So I stumbled onto a Wikipedia article. Sometimes. This one's good, though. It was about alchemy symbols. And I was scrolling through. And I found out that they used the astrology signs to mean different, basically different effects. So there's like... um, Oh, man, now I'm not going to remember it. Well, the two that I used were fixation and projection, which I think fixation probably in alchemy terms was like fusing of two materials together or maybe even like a magnetic bond. I'm not sure. Um, And then I was looking through the other symbols and I found that like the pre the three prime symbols are mercury that stood for mind, salt that stood for body or base nature and sulfur that stood for spirit. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. This guy's kind of all about spirit. And I wonder if maybe he was always. So I kept looking. I was like, fixation. Fixation on, of, in, spirit. And that gave me his personal sigil. It's the Gemini symbol with the symbol for sulfur in the middle of it. So fixation, on, of, in, spirit. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, I have these two other prime elements of alchemy. Body and mind, kind of in reverse order. So 002 was probably fixation on, of, in, body. And 001 was probably fixation on, of, in, mind. Oh, well, that's easy. The first unit was a research assistant in addition to being a bodyguard. Well, I guess their name was 001 Scholar. To kind of follow along the idea. Okay. And the second one, well, body. Body's interesting, so maybe a fighter. No, that's kind of boring. Well, the other meaning for salt is base nature. And nothing says base nature to me like some sort of assassin rogue. Someone who's just kind of like indulges in the darker side of their nature, the animal side. Like... So that's where I went with that. So Unit 2, 002, is named Cloak, and she is the assassin of the family. Okay. And so then I was like, okay, well, Scholar, 
is a research assistant. Cloak is an assassin. What on earth is witness then? And I was reminded about this time that I needed to figure out what the integrated tool was for my character. And I was looking through the list of D&D tools and nothing was really popping out to me for him. It was like, okay, at some point I'm going to have to make a Warforged who has an integrated like brewery in them. Because my DM had made a joke about it that you could just like have a brewery going on inside of them and just like spit out beers or whatever. And that's very good. Check, check. Check. Uh, I mean, if I did that, I would combine them with the idea I had for a dwarven cleric whose god was the god of beer and whose like healing magic and everything was delivered through pints of beer and whose warhammer was just a really heavy duty pint glass, like a okay. metal stein just welded onto a shaft and like heavily reinforced. It's Check. all very. Yeah. Yeah. You get it. You, you, you know, my brand. Uh, So I'm going to have to come back to that drunken boy at some point because, man, is that good. Uh, Maybe I'll make him to play in an Eberron game with Jake. It'll be great fun. That'd Um, be interesting. That's the reaction I want from any of my characters. Like, I don't know how this is going to work. It's going to be fun. Um, As I was looking through the list, I was like, okay, glassblower tools. I do that a lot with my warlocks. Like, Sindri was a Pact of the Chain warlock. And he was a glass blower, and he got his pack to the chain by basically forging a glass chain. And this is going to be a little mean, folks. He, like, got it red hot and wrapped it around his own arm. Oh. He had a vision during the whole process, and he saw a molten chain of glass lift up out of the furnace and wrap itself around his own arm. The rest of his party was like, hey, why'd you just do that to yourself? He's like, what are you talking about? So, I didn't want to do glass blowers. I've done it before. It's fine. I I looked at cartography and I was like, okay, that's very matte, but I don't yes, want to use is, it for this that guy. Is very matte. Yeah, I have a disease, uh, listeners. I make maps. Like, there are four piles of maps in the room I'm recording in around me. Uh, and only one of them that's over here, that's the uh, Port Avalon map, is actually in use for anything. So, oh wait, no. There's a map up there that's a top secret one for a different thing that I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, That's a tease for something that'll happen on another podcast entirely, and maybe I'll talk about it later, but that's not my business. Uh, I just I'm extremely it tempted, and I might ask you about it after you finish recording. But I also Off mic, I'll this. totally tell you. Um, so I didn't want to do cartography tools. I did use cartography tools later. That's the integrated tool for Scholar is a automated cartography set that records the paths they walk and like navigating dungeons or libraries. It just automatically charts where they go. It's very good. Uh, it was inspired by what I ended on. I ended on a calligraphy set. Check. <laughs> so witness has, I don't know if he knows it yet or if he actually is aware that it's inside of him. Basically, any conversation he hears or is a part of can be automatically transcribed and spat up as a scroll. That's a little bit creepy. It is, but that's because of what he was built to do by the wizard. He was half bodyguard and half courier or messenger. It was basically so the wizard could dictate something 
to witness. No, it would print out, like get written out, and he would go. No one would be like, oh, look, that's a Warforged courier. They'd just be like, that's a mean-looking Warforged that I'm not going to touch. And when okay. he'd get there, he would just, like, open a panel, and a scroll would come out, and he'd hand it to the recipient. And, like, dictate, have dictated to him the return or something. It was, it's great. It's a good message. It's a fun system for, like, the kind of wizard person who would make sentient life to do jobs for him. Like, that level of jerk is the kind of person who'd be like, yeah, you're just going to record conversations. So I'm kind of waiting to see if my GM is going to spring something on me that, like, I have a very, very important message to, like, store it in the buffer, more or less. Okay. Uh, I, I... my DM's going to have fun with this. Uh, I fully trust her to do something just mean and crazy to me. It's going to be great. Uh, so that's what I arrived at for witness. And this is what all kind of led to the final realization of, of who this wizard was and what his symbol was. So I was looking through the alchemy symbols again, and I came across another one that was uh, Pisces, I think. And what it means in alchemy was projection. And I looked at the other symbols and I was like, okay, what sort of jerk wizard? Like, what would he hold as his ideal to make these sentient beings and have like, Oh, you're just going to do all the scut work for research that I don't want to bother with. And you're going to go off people that I don't like. And you're going to go be a, like a, just basically a walking around stenography machine. Like, What sort of jerk does this? It's someone who tries to project their essence out onto the world. Like, that kind of egomaniac. So his symbol is Pisces, and incorporated into the center of it is all three of the prime symbols. So mind, body, and soul, and spirit. Okay. All forged together. So this guy's just like, I project my mind, body, and spirit out into the world through these vessels. I am the ultimate. And then he blows up, presumably, at some point. Good. And the world's probably better off for it. But uh, th- that leaves Witness just kind of stuck, waiting waiting to figure out what his new job is from his uh, underlord master. Uh, and now, presumably, going to travel around with these other people that he hasn't met yet. And, you know, maybe try to do some good in the world. And if my GM is uh, very, very kind or very, very mean, his siblings, Scholar and Cloak, might still be alive and might pop up. Okay. Because Witness doesn't know them anymore, Christina. Yes, you mentioned that earlier with the amnesia. He, he, He knows he had some sort of quasi-sibling relationship with two other people. No idea who they are. Okay. He's a very, very good boy, Christina. I'm very excited to play him. And I I need to talk to my GM about this, but so druids have a really great spell. It's called Shillelagh. Yes, I am familiar with that spell. It's so good, right? You just, like, rip a tree branch off or pick one up off the ground and be like, I'm going to beat you with a stick. And they're like, oh, very threatening. And then you make it magic. And they're like, oh, no. It's great. I actually don't think I've... No, I might have used it once. I have a character that I've been trying to play for a while who 
is a uh, because you know life happens and scheduling happens. Um, yep. But she is a she's a nature cleric. But then, as part of being a nature cleric, you get access to like I think it's like maybe like first level spells and maybe like a cantrip or two or something from like from the druid classes. And so one of hers, I think I had the shillelagh, which was real fun. Oh yeah. It's great to like walk into a fight with just a stick and people not take you seriously until you hit them. And suddenly they took a heap of magic damage. Uh-huh. So what I want to do, and again, I haven't talked to my DM. She might shoot this down because it's a little extreme. I want him to walk around with just the, the handle, the wooden handle of a scythe. No blade, because Druid's not really big on the metal thing. So no blade. Just the handle. And then whenever he casts Shillelagh on it, have the magic form the scythe blade. Check. <laughs> right? Like, it's very good, right? This is good. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, it's not just some dude walking around with a scythe giving it all away. It's just like, when it, when it hits the fan, out comes the blade, and now we're a-reaping. It's very on-brand for you. I guess I need to branch out at some point, but man, wizards and clerics are so boring to me. As a cleric, I'm a little bit offended. I mean, for like play style, they're not me. I'm not a healer. I'm like, I'm the artillery engine is what I am. I will not argue with that. (laughs) I just lob things from a distance. That's why I love warlocks. So... That's uh, that's my boy Witness. He is a tragic boy who is hopefully going to have some fun times in this campaign. I'm tempted to ask you if you've ever made a character who wasn't tragic in some capacity, but I'm afraid of the answer and I don't think I want to know it. Uh, I did! My, my first gaming group in Lubbock, way back when I was doing my undergrad here, I got invited to jump into a Savage Worlds game and got to play, which is like, hey, we're near the end, we don't really have time to incorporate a whole like complex backstory. We just need someone that can meet in a bar. And I was like, cool. Some happy-go-lucky sailor who happens to be really good with a cutlass and a pistol. Done deal. And then we went and slew witches and blew up a mage tower. Because, you know, whatever. Who cares about a mage? Mages are important. <laughs> Everyone is important. <laughs> they are. Uh, but yeah, he was perfectly happy. Didn't really have much of a backstory. He was just a sailor. Took another job on a different boat. Okay. I'm glad that we now have uh, recorded evidence that Matt Hobley can create characters who do not have absolutely tragic things happening to them. (laughs) Ben is not a tragic character, Christina. He is perfectly happy because he knows how it all ends. I would like to remind you that I haven't actually listened to the last, like, three episodes of Grayscale. He doesn't say anything about it. Katie got me the summary. But he doesn't say anything about it. He's keeping a very tight lid on the future because someone would get mad at him otherwise. But yeah, no, I'm perfectly capable of making it. It's just people who have a decent backstory. If they're just happy, why are they off doing things? Like, why aren't they just living their happy life? Because they like to explore. You could could have a non-tragic backstory and still have a character arc. I mean, sure, but I'm I'm the kind of player who likes to give a GM some toys to play with. Like, my other option was to come and talk about Trajan from Pokemon World Tour United, 
And that boy, for being basically an NPC, that boy is tragic. I'm not surprised. His name is literally similar to the word tragic. I mean, he's named. He and his two gym buddies are named for a Roman emperor. Are Roman emperors, so. See, I was gonna think that he was named after the font, which is Trajan. There is a font named Trajan. Ugh, I think no. it's even like a Romanesque serif. I'd have to double check that, but. Probably. Uh, no, he's named after the Emperor Trajan. His two gem buddies are named after Augustus and Hadrian. So, I was on theme. Yes. There's another checkbox for you. Roman history. Yes. So, those are those are my tragic people. Some of your tragic people. I mean, I can't really lay claim to people like Milo or no, anything. No, you just have partial custody of him. I just get to make some creative decisions for him. Uh, yeah, so those those are those are my D and D characters. I still play Ransom, whenever I get a chance because he's an easy person to plug into things. Mm-hmm. Keo is if a DM is like, oh well, we just need you to jump in. Cool, he'll literally jump into things. This is great. And uh, Witness is for a new campaign about to start up, and I'm very excited to find out what my GM has planned for him. Yep. It's. I look forward to hearing updates at some point about how it goes. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you're probably going to be talk. Well, maybe not tweeting a lot about it, but I'm sure it's probably going to come up at some point in the future. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. It'll be great fun. I like my big robot boy. I'm very. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go places with him. I'm gonna keep him around for sure. I, I I imagine it's kind of hard to kill a Warforged, and as long as they don't get four Sphinxes and then six Pteranodons sicked on them, I imagine it's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty not difficult to at least survive the initial levels. <laughs> well, I mean, as a druid, like a level three druid, if someone sicks Pteranodons on me, technically I can fling open a coat and summon eight of them right back in their face. Conjure animals is a spell. Okay. And pteranodons are only like one quarter of a CR, so you can have eight of them. Okay. You just make a bunch of things with that spell. It's bonkers. Druids are a little broken if they if they want to be. Yeah. You you definitely seem to enjoy playing the characters that are at least the classes that are, that have more opportunities to be used in creative ways. That is the nicest way you could have said that, Christina. You're welcome. It's a uh, you know, it's it's the training in me that actually doesn't like D and D. Like I like the narrative game, so I make interesting narrative characters, and then try to figure out how to make D and D staple onto them. What in particular draws you more towards the warlocks? Is it like the aspect of the deal, the give and take? Is it just that warlocks can be really, really versatile characters? Is it the the, I don't know. You really like having people that have the that have the witch blast. <laughs> I mean, look if you're oh if you're playing a straight warlock and you don't take eldritch blast and witch bolt, I don't even know what you're doing with it really mechanically. Like those are just like the toolbox. Um, no, I like I like warlocks for the story of it. Like at some point, this person made a choice. Like, willing or not, they made a choice 
to sacrifice some part of their um, their autonomy, their agency to some higher power. Who's just like, great, you're mine now as a reward for sacrificing part of who you are or sacrificing part of your will, you get power. Like you're not just a toy to me. You're an agent of mine. And that's, that's a very interesting story in almost every single regard. Like every version of the warlock right now, um, like there's of course the fiend who's the devil. You make the deal with the devil you get power. Uh, there's the arch fay where you go to the traditional, like make a deal with a fairy and it's probably going to go bad for you, but whatever. Uh, and the great old one where you kind of just have your reality rewritten by something beyond the stars. Uh, they even have it now with like celestials and the Raven queen has her hex blades and all these other like deals that you make. And it's just like, what makes a person do that? Like the easy answer is, power but if you have to sacrifice at least some degree of your agency to something that is almost certainly in some aspect unknowable to you and what they're really after did you really gain anything or did you just become a fire hose for them and that's that's always such an interesting question for me whenever i look at making a new warlock like i did that with witness He's going to be, he's going to take at least three levels of Warlock. It's probably going to be his next three levels. He's going to be a direct agent of this Lord of the Underworld. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for him? Like, like for Witness, it's not as much of a question because he kind of lost a lot of who he was. And he's been rebuilding it as this druid and as this shepherd of lost souls or whatever. But he's sacrificing some degree of his autonomy, which was, you know, known or not freshly found for him. He found this autonomy and this freedom of purpose. And then he decides to make this deal. Whatever the deal is, he decides to make it what I want to explore that aspect of people. Like why did ransom become a hex blade? Why did he make that choice? Like, I'm living this happy life with my family. I'm this happy kid. I'm, like, maybe naturally talented in tinkering or whatever. And I can shoot a crossbow real good. And I have this, like, natural inclination for studying and for just... I'm a charismatic little kid. And then all of a sudden, the next time you see him, he's this hexblade servant of the Raven Queen who's still happy-go-lucky most of the time. But, man... If someone, like, brings up a zombie or a skeleton, the Raven Queen, that part of her nature that lives in him is going to take over, and he's not going to be Happy Ransom. He's going to be someone who will, like, just blast people out of the way to get rid of that zombie. What makes a person do that? And and I know I'm putting a lot of, like, story choice behind what's essentially, like, a player decision on how I play these people, but... That's what makes D&D interesting for me, is to try to find out the story of these people in mm-hmm. these worlds that we're all kind of just borrowing from each other. It's your, I mean, it's your master's degree coming through. 
Yeah, hi, I have a master's degree in English. My bad. I just went on story elements there for a little bit. Oops. Um, but yeah, that's what draws me to warlocks. Okay, since we are coming kind of close, is there anything that you want to talk about before I go into the final question? If not, that's fine too, because you you talked a lot about your about your about your about your three and a bit, four and a bit characters. So yeah, we covered managed, we covered a lot of ground. I managed to squeeze in a lot of extra stuff in there. It's pretty good. Uh, for for something that I told you was just going to be a couple people, I kind of squeezed a lot of people in there. Um, no, those are kind of the go to guys. Okay. I think I'm. Yeah, I think I think we're good. Your final question then is: Why do you love? Why do you love Ransom, Witness, the elf guy whose name I can't remember, and your initial psychopath character who was Sindri. a halfling? Yeah. Why do you, why why do you love them so much? <laughs> I love all four of those characters because I think to some degree they're all extremes. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> um, and they're all extremes in ways that I'm not. So I think at best, Sindri, in the most forgiving of circumstances, would at best be a really low-functioning sociopath. Uh, and probably much worse than that when he gets going. Um, Ransom is just this... He's the kind of person that Matt, actual real-life Matt, would find kind of annoying just for how relentlessly happy and charming and upbeat he is. Like, we're willing to see the absolute best in people. Willing to take take those extra steps. Um, Keo is the daredevil. Like he doesn't, he's not worried about other people's opinions. He's just gonna go. He's gonna leap into it. He's gonna. He's not going to let fear rule him. And and witness is this, this precious blank slate of a person, who found himself in, the most inhospitable of circumstances. I was just like. Well, I'm here. I'm going to make myself a nice little life, and I'm just going to try to do good. I don't know what good is yet, but I'm going to try to do it. And that's, those are all like these extremes of, these extremes made character, I guess is the better way to put it. And getting, being able to like try to play in those people is what makes me love them. Because I'm able to, I'm able to express things differently through those people than I can just with myself. Like Matt has all these responsibilities he has to worry about. Matt has all these deadlines he has to meet. Matt's not able to just like, no, I'm going to jump out of a tree onto a pterodactyl. I mean, not, not of course counting that pterodactyls. Yeah. The the shortage of pterodactyls in Texas. (laughs) I listen, if you know where they are, please let me know. And I'll avoid that place like the plague because dinos will eat you. I've seen Jurassic Park. Um, Woman inherits the earth. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Whatever. Um, but but being able to kind of live in those other shoes, to explore these other roads, like kind of that whole like road not taken thing. Mm-hmm. And with some of them, it's very much like a, well, there but for the grace of God go I kind of thing. Like, 
infinite universe, infinite possibilities, there probably is like a ransom style Matt somewhere. There's probably a crazy adventurous Keo version of Matt somewhere. Um, man, I really hope there's not a Sindri version of Matt somewhere. That's terrifying. No, thank you. Uh, but being able to, to being able to experience even, even kind of like the simulation version of life that you get at a tabletop game as these other people is great. Like if, if people have been interacting with me and then we sit down at the table and they hear me go, hi, I'm ransom. Like getting able to see them like stop and just like process what just happened mm-hmm. because listen, uh, listeners, that's not me. I know it's if, not. If I can just not talk to people in real life, that's fine. That's absolutely fine with me. And I do podcasting heavily, which is a weird, weird contradiction, but whatever. Selective social interaction. Yeah. Uh, I, I get to choose my people in those regards. It's great. Um, but being able to to explore, being able to explore other aspects of life and kind of see how it feels to walk in those other shoes. That's why I love those characters. That's why I love every character that I that I get to do more with than just roll numbers on a dice and come up with just a stat engine. You know, someone that I get to like flesh out. They're going to explore a different part of me that I don't get to play around in. I think that's true of a lot of people who do role-playing and, and, or tabletop games in any capacity. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's escapism to its mm-hmm. core. And even that is, even what I just described, like I said it in much more serious and master's degree terms or whatever. But it was, listen, I, I paid for the degree. I'm going to use it. Um, I'm not shaming you for using your education. <laughs> um but even all that really is just escapism. It's escaping from that into Ransom or into Keo or into Witness. Um, typically, I get to escape out of Sindri back into Matt, which is a weird change of pace. But uh, it's it's nice to have that escape, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't have any good add-ons to that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty concise statement. It, you know, it's... We do the hobby for a, for a reason. Yes. And while all of us have our own reasons for doing it, a lot of times it's escapism. And hey, if you haven't found your escapism in life, listener, uh, go visit your friendly local game store or meet some people on Twitter or whatever and go roll some bones with them. See if uh, see if maybe tabletop RPGs are your way out, because we would love to have you. They can be pretty fun. And and if, if you are if you are in a situation where maybe you are not welcome in your in your local Maybe not so friendly game store. That's why the internet exists. <laughs> and listen, we don't we don't like those kind of people either. We don't want them in our hobby, but they're here, so we just try to make it better where we can. That's that's very that's a very good that's a very good phrase to follow. It's uh, it's it's one of those rules I live by. Like my dad gave me a nice one that was just don't be dumb. Like whatever you're about to do, think about it. Is it dumb? Don't do it. Um, and Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World gave me the other that's just like, be kind, do good. That's mm-hmm. too good of a phrase to not just use. Like, wherever you are, whatever you're part of, just do good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Matt. I appreciate having you here. <laughs> hey, absolutely. I've been listening to this since you started, and I'm just excited to be 
Could I be would on the hope episode so. list. <laughs> I would hope that you have been listening, given that you are the <laughs> uploader. <laughs> I hey hey, I support my friends in their creative endeavors, which is good to know and good to be appreciated. <laughs> hey, it's it's what we do. Uh, yeah, it this is. has been great, Christina. Thank you. You are welcome. And I know you have a long list, so anything that you want to promote, where you can be found on the internet, if you want to be found? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, probably more often than I should be, at Matt Hoadley. Um, you can find just a whole, it's it's maybe like half a metric McElroy of podcasts for me. I actually uh, counted a couple days ago, and I think, there, uh, I think a metric McElroy is in the sum of McElroy's is like 19. So, okay. counting so producer I'm a credits, third. it's like 19. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not a third. I'm a fifth of a metric McElroy then, currently. Uh, you can find my, my first podcast here for the next couple months uh, is Fifth Draw Wild. It's going to be kind of phasing out for a while because life. Um, you can find the podcast I do with Jake and Alan, uh, Hard Reboot, which is where we take a public domain property and we give it a fresh modern spin. We just did one of my favorites so far. Uh, we rebooted the, uh, I want to say classic in heavy air quotes film, Manos the Hands of Fate. And it was a buck wild evening. Um, go listen to that one. It was great. It was more fun than it had any right to be, like the Detective Pikachu trailer. Um, you can find a podcast that I do... I guess semi-regularly is the way to say it, with Alan Sells. Uh, that's called Forging Worlds, where we sit down and we do the entire world-building process on mic. Uh, we usually split it up over four episodes and then have a finished playable or creatable world at the end of it. Um, we also occasionally do some other things like plot hooks and listener questions about DMing, things like that, so... That's a good, fun one to listen to. And then the uh, the big boy of all of them, kind of my, the, the thing I'm trying to make into a uh, actual play hub or launching pad or something um, is The Lost Library with uh, main art done by Christina. And it's, we currently have two ongoing campaigns on there. Um the, the one that IGM, that Christina is a part of, called Grayscale, and the one that Joe Hadfield GMs called Fifth Watch. Uh, Grayscale is a uh, definitely not family-friendly horror. No. Yeah. Uh, it's a horror game. Um, it's done in Monster of the Week, but it's we kind of... We're kind of very slowly breaking that system to do it the way we want to do it. Um and Fifth Watch is a uh, very light and fun, except I feel like also dramatic as all get out and probably going to be very dark and sad eventually, uh, game that they play in the Masks system. Both of those are powered by the Apocalypse systems, and if you haven't played them, you should. And that's my list of plugs. There's going to be more stuff coming eventually. Uh, me and Jake and his brother Scott... I almost said scoot because that's what I'm used to now uh, are going to be doing a one month out of the year, every like end of July and August, we're going to be doing a gravity falls rewatch now. Okay. 
so those super sets we did on Fifth Draw Wild are just going to become their own show. Uh, it's going to be kind of like uh, Till Death Do Us a Blart that the McElroys do, uh, where we just come back to it for five episodes a year. And that's it. See you next summer. Um, okay. Because Gravity Falls is great and you should watch the show. Uh, I think that's all that's on the immediate horizon. I'm going to be kind of working on focusing, growing Lost Library, trying to get some more campaigns going and make that into a launch pad for people who want to try out actual plays on podcasts that I kind of want it to be. So that was a long-winded yeah. ramble about what I do, Christina. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, I knew there was going to be a long list. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, it rounded out the time. It did before ending. <laughs> the Home for Weird OCs can be found on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our theme song is Violet by Potty to Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. New episodes come out on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter at WaywardOCPod or through the WaywardOCPod hashtag. You can also email us at WaywardOCPod at gmail.com. We are always looking for guests to talk about their original characters, uh, so if you're interested, uh, send us an email, send us a tweet, tag us in something. Although, uh, to be honest, we do have the next couple of months scheduled. Uh, we've got some fun, uh, some fun themed programming, I will say, coming up in January. Uh, but uh, you're always welcome to send us something and we can try and get you worked in on a schedule. And as with all podcasts, it is always incredibly helpful if you can rate and subscribe to us on your listening platform of choice and recommend us to a friend, because it helps us to find more guests and to brighten more people's days. So... Thank you all for listening. This has been Home for Weird OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. 